This is Paula Morell, and welcome to Tales from the South, presented by BourbonandBoots.com. We need some time to get away. Sail away and take a long vacation. And we'll dream a better day. How's everybody doing tonight? All right, well, welcome to a very special edition of Tales from the South, a series we call The Tin Roof Project, where well-known Southerners bring their own true stories to life. We are on location in the beautiful, historic Argenta Arts District of North Little Rock, Arkansas. Tales from the South is presented by Southern lifestyle brand bourbonandboots.com, and I'm your host, Paula Martin Morell. All right, are y'all ready for some Southern style storytelling? Originally from West Virginia, actor and playwright Ann Tallman is best known for her work in Serendipity, Wall Street, and The January Man, as well as Seinfeld, Murphy Brown, and General Hospital. On Broadway, she played Elizabeth Taylor's daughter in The Little Foxes in her first role out of college. She also played a hilarious nun in The House of Blue Leaves alongside Swoosie Kurtz, Stalker Channing, John Mahoney, Ben Stiller, Julie Haggerty, and Christopher Walken. Her solo show, Woody's Order, about her beloved older brother with cerebral palsy, which she wrote and stars in, will premiere at the Pittsburgh Playhouse in February 2017. Anne lives in Charlottesville, Virginia, and commutes to work in New York and L.A. Tonight, Anne Tallman takes us back to the last night she got to spend with her grandmother in Grandma's Rolls. Ladies and gentlemen, Anne Tallman. Thank you. Can everyone hear me? Yes. All right. Now I have to put the spectacles on. Or my readers, as my grandmother would say. <clears throat> and thank you so much for having me here, Paula. Uh, bourbon and Boots. I have the boots, and during Prohibition, my father and his brothers were known as the Bourbon Boys. So. <laughs> this is Grandma's Rolls. In 1982, I was in London doing a play with Elizabeth Taylor. Grandma wrote faithfully, asking me to please hurry down to Birmingham when I returned. I flew to her side as soon as we closed to find she was in the hospital on her deathbed. Her stomach was so full of cancer, the doctors had opened her up and sewed her right back shut. I... Well, I'll be. It is so good of you to come. Don't you look pretty. Let me look at you. Don't you know, I think you finally weigh just exactly what you ought to. <laughs> Let me see your outfit. I got it in London. How is Elizabeth? She's fine. She sends her love. She wants to know if you still have the I Love General Hospital mug she gave you. Oh, sure enough. 
She is so thoughtful. I keep my pens and pencils in it. Now, let me, uh, let me feel your skirt. Uh-huh, cotton, very well made. Sit down and let's visit. I spec I may use a mask right directly. These darn tubes swelled my arm and I am all discombobulated. Open what you brought me. She was pleased as punch with the bed coat, though there were three in the closet in addition to the new one she was wearing. <laughs> well, one is cotton, one's knitted wool, and one is a polyester blend. What's mine? from you. Now, have you been keeping up with your singing? I try. It makes me sad sometimes, Grandma. Maybe it's not my destiny. It's a gift from God. Work harder. <laughs> Do you have a bow? Yeah. <laughs> An actor named Bruce from Rhode Island, he's on Broadway in a play with Al Pacino right now. Hmm, Yankee. <laughs> well, I am just glad that you don't live with him the way the young ones do today. Well, actually... <laughs> yes, ma'am. <laughs> Get the dress down from my attic. Try it on. I spec we'll have to let out the hips and bring in the bosom. <laughs> the dress, what Southerners call a family gown, was silk satin, first worn by my mother in 1940. I would be the fifth bride to have the honor. Yeah, I got the Tallman behind, huh? <laughs> you know, Grandma Tallman used to say, a Tallman woman is thin from front to back, but wide from side to side. <laughs> Turn around. Uh-huh. From behind, you do look just like your father. <laughs> but mother was tall and thin, huh, Grandma? Well before Woody. Uh, but then she got so big, she never did lose the baby weight. Mm, mm, mm. You know, um, she said once that when something goes wrong at birth, like cerebral palsy, it's worse than if the baby had died because you mourn, but then you have to go on because it needs you. Don't you know, you look more like her in the face than I ever saw before. No, I look like Woody, a female version of Woody, and we both look like Dad. Uh-huh. Woody wants to come down and see you, but we just can't manage it right now with the wheelchair. He misses you, and especially your roles, Grandma. You know, it's funny. You make roles, but Grandma Tallman made biscuits. Well, roles take more time to rise. Tell him to hurry on now, here. We sat hand in hand as she dozed. And I stared at her delicate Dresden face. The skin on her cheeks was almost translucent, like a, a fine balik teacup. Mother had described 
Grandma as a handsome woman, but I adored her sparkling brown eyes and expressive face, and she wore her soft gray hair in a loosely braided bun. As a child, I sat on her four-poster bed in rapture as she braided and bunned it just so, tiny wisps of hair framing the face that I loved. She woke suddenly. Ian, will you tell Aunt Mary there's a special on chuck roast at Piggly Wiggly? I want her to pick me one up and put it in my freezer. Oh, and be sure to check the tape on things here. She put masking tape on the bottom of her treasures with the name of the person she wanted to leave it to. And if she changed her mind, she just put a new piece of tape over the old one. <laughs> so if you peeled them away, you, you would see who was in or out of her favor over the years. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. But her joy of cooking with handwritten recipes stuffed in the pages was all that really mattered to me. Oh, and the blue and white polka dot coffee mugs that we drank instant coffee from. Her name was Mary Elizabeth Richardson, or Grandma Richie. And she had been the head dietitian of the Ensley School District in the 1920s and was one of the original cake mix testers. The cake mix companies sent her boxes to bake and write reports. They were just dreadful. She was the one who first suggested adding a box of pudding and vegetable oil, mm -hmm. or mayonnaise or applesauce to doctor it up. Boy, I wish she had patented that. She called her improvements dump cake. Dump in whatever is on hand. And her funeral cake had the ingredients stored in the pantry so that if someone died suddenly, she could whip it up and have it over to their house cooling within the hour. <laughs> and when TV dinners came out, she saved the foil tins, cooked up large batches of stuff, and created her own far better versions to freeze. She wrote a cookbook in the 1920s on how to take any recipe and convert it to feed crowds in the thousands. <laughs> Remember, Miss Ann, cooking isn't just math, it's chemistry. She closed her eyes again. Ann, hmm, the doctors won't tell me a thing. I reckon they will when they're ready. Yes, ma'am. So I'm just not going to fret. No, ma'am. I spec if they think I should know something, they'll tell me. Yes, ma'am. What have you heard? <laughs> Grandma, if you hear anything, you tell me. I mean it. Hear? All right, Grandma. I lied. Aunt Mary took me home for dinner and brought me straight back with a traveler in case I got hungry. And I found Grandmother asleep but busy. Her good hand was playing with a spot on the sheet beside her body, methodically picking up an imaginary object, bringing her four fingers to her thumb, lifting them, and grazing them again on the sheet as though dipping them in something. And then she folded the object over and placed it in a row on her bed sheet. She was preparing her rolls for the oven. 
taking the imaginary circles of risen dough, dipping them in butter, folding them, and lining them in a pan. When she stirred, I said, hey, Grandma, what you doing? Dreaming, I rang. Did Leela come today? Yes, ma'am. What was for supper? Let's see, uh, baked chicken with rice, tossed salad, squash casserole, your rolls, and sweet tea. Uh-huh. How was the squash? Great, why? I made it, froze it from Mary. Hey, Grandma, have you seen General Hospital lately? No. Want me to fill you in? No. Oh. For years, Grandma planned her doctor-ordered naps around GH, and she never got over the Luke and Laura wedding. When Elizabeth Taylor appeared as a countess, that's when she sent Grandma the coveted I Love General Hospital mug. Hey, Grandma, did you ever hear Mother say she looks like she was poured into that dress and cooled down? <laughs> or, oh, uh, uh, she looks like she has a hoop skirt built right into her fanny. <laughs> she called my fanny an abus corbus cabascus. Oh, uh, Grandma, remember when she fell at your house one time and Dr. Bill ran to help her and she said, don't touch me, just get me a doctor. Your mother fell a lot. <laughs> oh, remember Cousin Sally said, Grandma, stop bossing me. And you said, I'm not bossing you. I'm just telling you what to do. It saves time. <laughs> Can I just say that if I had been in clown college going for extra credit right then, I was flunking. Ann, how is your father with the house? Fine. Stubborn bull. If he had any gumption, he'd find a smaller place like I did. Yeah, but he won't. No, but he should. Lady friend. Dad? <laughs> well, he could remarry. If your grandfather hadn't, you wouldn't be here. I was his second wife, first died in childbirth, baby and all. Grandma, did mom and dad ever love each other? Oh, good Lord, yes, plumb crazy about each other. Everybody loved your daddy. He was dashing, rugged, charming. Well, granddaddy hired him in 36 and knew he'd go far president of U.S. Steel if he'd wanted to. Your mama was barely 17 when they took to court and 20 when they married. She broke it off once on account of he was always late and drank too much. Oh, yeah, you know, he had a judge removed from the bench once for drunkenness when he was a foreman of a jury, and Mother would say, Good Lord, that was rich. <laughs> well, I was relieved they called it off, but then they patched it up. She told him if he was one second late to the church, she would not be there, and the reception was to be dry. I take it he was thirsty, but prompt for once in his life. Early, first time ever. Why did they argue so? 
Well, she fought just as much with me. Me too, Grandma. When your daddy went over after Pearl Harbor all those years to fight Hitler, she moved back in with us, executive secretary to the principal of the school district. And we, when he got back, late 45, they had to get to know each other all over again. And then Woody came in 48. I think they should have just gone their separate ways after the war. Sometimes I think when she started to lose control of the car, maybe she just threw up her hands and let go. Saw her chance to get out and took it. Oh God, I hope I don't end up like her, so unhappy. Grandma turned away and slowly looked back with tears in her eyes. I'm worried about you. You must be strong. Know who you are, know what you want, live now. Work hard, pray, and never give up. Just don't end up like her. It's up to you. Now let's don't talk anymore. Let's just sit and be, all right? Yes, ma'am. I'll be your night nurse. By morning, she was gone. At the viewing, Woody insisted I wheel him up alongside the casket, and he reached his palsied fingers down to feel her navy chiffon dress and smiled. Woody, you, you remember that dress, huh? Mm. Mm. Please forgive us that we didn't get you here in time to see her. So thank you so much, Ann Tallman, for being on Tales from the South, presented by bourbonandboots.com. Your story starts out with your grandmother asking you how Elizabeth Taylor was, and you asking her if she still had the I Love General Hospital mug that Elizabeth gave her. So I'm intrigued. Can you tell us more about this? And um, did your grandmother actually get to meet Elizabeth Taylor? Yes, of course she met Elizabeth. Um, we actually started in Fort Lauderdale at the Parker Playhouse, and so that was closer to Birmingham. So Grandma came to meet Elizabeth and see the show then, and Elizabeth made a huge to-do over Grandma Ritchie and gave her a tour of her dressing room, which was lavender and white, and showed her all her makeup and, you know, and everything. And, and Grandma dressed up real proper for it and everything. And then after we did um, Broadway, we went to L.A. And when Elizabeth was on General Hospital, she knew that Grandma loved G.H., so that's when she sent her the mug. And she, Elizabeth was... She really cared about me and my family, so she would talk about Woody and my dad and my grandma, and she was a wonderful person. And um, when my dad and brother came to the show in New York, they wore matching tuxedos, and they came not to opening night, but to uh, a show after that. And Elizabeth had the whole audience cleared out and then she 
set it up so that she would come down in her final scene, negligee, full silk nightgown, um, and come down some steps to greet my dad and brother. And she went rushing up to Woody and bent down and said, oh, Woody, it is so glad to meet you. And as she bent down, his head flopped right into her cleavage. <laughs> and he, it snapped back very quickly, but, and she went, ah! <laughs> and from then on, she would say, and how is that randy gorgeous brother of yours? <laughs> and my dad was, like outright flirting with her. And, and he said, Elizabeth, I'll be your stage door Johnny for life. <laughs> and she just looked at me like, oh my God, your family is a bunch of flirts. <laughs> so, you know, so. She was, a, she was a practical joker, so. I could write a book about all the jokes she played. She was, but she loved Woody which was neat. He loved her too. <laughs> yeah, not everybody's allowed down there, you know? <laughs> Woo! <laughs> and so in your story, it's such a tender moment when you watch your grandmother as she makes rolls in her sleep. Um, making food seemed to be such an integral part of who she was, and then also how you remember her. So do you have any stories about being in her kitchen or cooking with her? Um, well, I mostly watched her cook. I had a, like a stool that I would sit on and just watch her. Um, and you know, she had survived the depression and everything. So I never got to lick the bowl ever, <laughs> never. I mean, spatulas, she went through spatulas like because there was nothing left in a bowl if it was gonna be a cake or muffins or whatever. I would just be like, Grandma, can I? And no, no. And um, she tried to teach me how to make her rolls and I flunked. <laughs> I couldn't do it. I mean, I just, they never came out the way hers did. Um, but she was, she was a dietitian way ahead of her time, you know. She had thought she was gonna be an old maid and she met my grandfather when she was 28, I think. And, um, but she also, like one time, uh, a nest of wasps stung me on the top of my head because they were in the hinge of a swing and they all came down. And I went running into the, her kitchen crying and she said, come here, I'll make a poultice. And she just like whipped up some poultice, she called it, of like baking soda and all this stuff. And she just smeared it all over my head. And I remember thinking, my gosh, she can do anything. I mean, you know, her kitchen was like an ER, you know, besides for food. I just, and it immediately took the sting away. So yeah, she, she was, um, oh, and she had a famous, fried chicken recipe where she would use cornflakes and as the crust and you know shake them up in a bag and uh, you know she was amazing but then she would always comment on your weight and it would be like well grandma it's not fair <laughs> you're cooking all this stuff and then and then if I'm like five pounds too heavy she's like mm -mm, you know 
at the end of your story, uh, your brother Woody touches your grandmother's dress at the viewing, just like she touched yours at the beginning of the story. So your solo show is about Woody, yes? Yes. And so can you tell us more about it and a little bit more about him? Well, um, Woody was born in 1948, and he has um, severe cerebral palsy. He's, he's considered a nonverbal spastic quadriplegic. Um, but he's very bright mentally and gorgeous. Look, he, he looks like Al Pacino. And um, when he was eight, he realized that he was an only child and my mother had to have some back surgery. And he realized, wait a minute, something could happen to mom and dad and then who's gonna take care of me? So he would touch my mother's belly and with one hand and my father's groin with another and go. And they did. And nine months later, um, I was born and on the picture that they used to take in the hospital back in the 50s, my mother wrote, Woody's order, exclamation point. <laughs> And I was known as Woody's Order, and, and I was told, you know, it was like a family folktale, you know, and my, my parents would say, well, y y your brother conjured you, you are your brother's keeper in case anything ever happens to mom or dad, but don't worry, it won't. And, um, and I, as a child, embraced it because it was like having a doll that you could take care of, but it was alive, and I mean, I just, loved my brother and still I do I love my brother so much but um, I, I have home movies of me at two years old learning how to give him drink and wiping his face and pushing his wheelchair and I just loved him but what happened was um, mother was killed in a car crash when I was 20 and my dad got Alzheimer's right after that and I had to fulfill the destiny I took care of my father for 10 years and my brother from then on. And um, so my solo show is sort of the story about how no matter how much you love someone and no, no matter how helpless they are, you cannot live your own life for someone else. And through the course of the story, we both have a rite of passage where we let each other go to be our own people. And um, I'm really excited about, and then I shot a documentary this summer because he's 67 now. When he was born, his life expectancy was 12. <laughs> and he's 67, but he's frail. And um, I didn't want him to see a workshop of the show. I thought it would be too much for him. So I decided to film me reading portions of it to him on a stage, and some friends of mine are documentary filmmakers, so I've filmed a documentary of that, and then we've interspersed home movies from 1950 through my father's death in 95, and um, so it's in what they call post right now. <laughs> I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> but it'll kind of go with the solo show and it's going to be in Pittsburgh because that's where I grew up. And I'm really, really excited. I'll 
keep everybody posted about it on my web page. And also, I'll, I brought pictures that are all about the story. I, I gave these guys at this table right here a bunch of pictures. And I'll put them on my web page because um, there's pictures of the dress and Grandma and Woody and Elizabeth <laughs> and me. <laughs> this one. So how about our story and storyteller tonight? Thank you so much, Ann Tallman, for being on Tales from the South, presented by bourbonandboots.com. You can find out more about Ann at her website, anntallman.com. Tales from the South is presented by Southern lifestyle brand, bourbonandboots.com. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Stitcher Smart Radio. You can download and listen to our podcast on our website. We are open for submissions from all Southerners. More can be found at talesfromthesouth.com. Have a great night, and we'll see you next time for another edition of Bourbon and Boots Tales from the South. Good night, everybody. This it's a lack of communication. We need some time to get away. Sail away and take a long vacation. And we'll dream a better day. Look at the mess we've undertaken Silence says all we want to say No more meaningful conversation I feel our love is slipping away Bye.